Hello, I'm Colleen Presnell. And hi, I'm Jenny Joseph. Welcome to the first of our Gift of Friendship podcast. Our podcast is designed for people going through treatment for many types of illnesses. In this podcast one, we'll be talking about blood stem cell transplants, but in the future, we'll talk to other patients about many different journeys. Also, we'll interview doctors, clinicians, and discuss topics for patients such as diet, various types of meditation, and a whole lot more. Today, I'll be talking with a lady I've known for a number of years, Sue Patchett, who will talk about her journey through autologous stem cell transplant. And we'll be talking to Kerry Moran, who started Gift of Friendship Foundation with Kalina. But Kalina, I think you should start by telling the listeners about your own experience with blood cancer. My journey started in 2001. I was a trainer in business communication and travelling around Australia and Southeast Asia, meeting some amazing people, great characters and having the time of my life. I'd been doing that for 25 years. I went on a ski holiday after a job that I'd done in Singapore and while I was skiing, I had some unusual symptoms. So on my return, of course, I blamed all those symptoms onto, uh, uh, you know, my ski boots and the uh, altitude and all sorts of reasons. Uh, But when I returned from skiing, I consulted a doctor. And after a variety of tests and a few discussions and meetings, he advised me that I had acute myeloid leukaemia. It threw my world upside down. I was petrified and I feared the unknown. I eventually went on to have two bone marrow transplants, which I'll discuss with my talk with Sue Patchett. But not all patients go on to have bone marrow transplants. There are many different forms of treatment now that are very successful. But Jenny Joseph from Hollishell Marketing, let's talk about you. Well, as you know, last year I took a sabbatical and in that time I helped a few friends of mine with their business and decided to start Hot as Hell Marketing. At the same time, I met you and your story with acute myeloid leukemia really resonated with me and the Gift of Friendship Foundation that you started just seemed so amazing and one of the um, objectives I had during my sabbatical was to give something back to mm-hmm. the community no. and I was looking to get involved with a charity or a foundation and I met you mm. and so here I am you helping you with this podcast and your help it will be invaluable our first guest for today is Kerry Moran who started Gift of Friendship with me hi Kerry thanks for joining us today do you remember what we had to go through to start Gift of Friendship and get approval to visit patients all around St Vincent's Hospital? I do, Cole. First of all, we sent a letter to the CEO of St Vincent's and he organised a meeting with various department heads and some did have concerns that we would cross over into their department. We assured them we wouldn't and in fact, we would refer patients to their services if needed. 
After half an hour discussion, the CEO said to the department heads, OK, you've all told me why this project won't work, but now I want everyone to come back next week and tell me how we will make it work, because I think it's a great idea. And so Gift of Friendship was born. However, we still had to be invited onto each ward by the nursing unit manager. Yes, we, uh, we started uh, on Nine South, the haematology ward, where we continue to visit patients for two to three hours every week. And then we were invited to... Caritash, yes, I remember, where patients have drug, alcohol and various mental problems. Yeah, we were on Caritas for about six months and we did a lot of good things for them. We bought some herbs and helped them with their herb garden and we organised a film library. Yes, and remember, Cole, choosing films for this department was a very interesting job. <laughs> <laughs> we decided heart and lung would be too much of a responsibility. But while we were there, we discovered the numb in charge of heart and lung was under so much stress, we took it a lunch. In fact, Kerry, we took her to your place for lunch. I remember that. We had a lovely afternoon. And after lunch, the num went to my powder room. So I proceeded to get some filtered water from my fridge, which I stored in a Gordon's gin bottle. And as she was coming back to the table, she was horrified to see me pouring you a large glass from the gin bottle, Colina. <laughs> she thought I was drinking straight gin. Mm. For many years, we visited patients in renal, remember, Cole? Yeah. And some of them were real characters. Yeah, that's right, where people are having dialysis up to 22 hours a week, some people. Mm. Then for the past few years, we have been visiting and talking to patients who come to the Kinghorn for treatment. We often get referrals from different people to visit patients in the private hospital. Each patient that we visit receives a little gift from us, a beanie, flowers, candy, and at Christmas and Easter, we give special gifts. We also raise money and often leave baskets of goodies for the nursing staff. Yeah, which they love. Yes. Our objective is to give hope, comfort and confidence in modern medical treatment. And you know what, Kerry? Gift of Friendship's been going for 12 years this November. And I tell you what, those 12 years have gone so quickly. And we look forward to continuing our face-to-face -face visits after COVID. So thank you, Kerry, and thank you for being on this journey with me. Well, it's been my pleasure, Cole. Our next guest is... A lady who has done the journey and some, Sue Patchett from Patchett's Pies. Hi, Sue. Hi, Colina. Lovely to be here. Lovely to be here. That's my mantra. <laughs> Lovely to be here in more ways than one. Yes. <laughs> um, so, Sue, before we start talking about the time we first met, could you tell us something about Patchett's Pies? How did it originate? Um, <clears throat> I started making them in our house um, and um, after about a year, it became uh, quite obvious that uh, my family were going to leave me if I didn't uh, leave the house. The smell of pies cooking mm -hmm. made them feel quite ill in the mornings. 
So they directed me out of the house mm -hmm. and we moved up to Birrell Street and then on to Charing Cross. And then after that we moved to Mascot where the business still runs. Great. And I understand at the time that you moved um, yes. to, you were making a thousand pies a week on your kitchen table. That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> and I can also understand why they, uh, your family wanted you to move, because I had a similar experience at home, um, trying to be organized and cooking mincemeat in a slow cooker. We woke up overnight feeling so ill. That was the first and last time we actually used our slow cooker. Oh, gosh. So... Down the hatchet with a pie from Patchett. <laughs> Is that your slogan? No, it's not my slogan. Colleen made that. I made it. <laughs> so you and I met in 2001. Do you remember? I was in 1A and you were in 1B and we certainly were not in an aeroplane. No. What are your memories? How, how did you get there and then we first met? Right. Well, um, I was driving back from Wallabadar, um, which is where our farm was then. Uh, in December 2000 and my husband George noticed I had my legs up on the dash as, uh, <laughs> as you tended to do in those days yes, yes. don't do yeah. so much now um, but um, he, he noticed the bruises there were bruises all up and down my legs and he said that's not natural so off I went to the GP and they took blood samples and tests and on Friday evening at 7.30, the phone rang and it was my GP and he said, so I'd like you and George to come up here. And I said, but I've had a drink. I don't want to come <laughs> up. And he mm. said, Sue, you must. So mm. I went up. Mm. And of course he told us the bad news. Mm. And by Monday, uh, I was in hospital and ready for chemo. Yes. Well, they move pretty quickly, don't they? they do. uh, you know, yes, I was diagnosed on the Tuesday, and by Thursday, I was in hospital connected to the chemo. Yes. Mm. Wow, they surely don't waste time, which is comforting. Mm. Yes, it mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. mm. And so, what do you remember about us meeting in St Vincent's Hospital? Well, I remember this uh, hiatus coming down the <laughs> corridor, <laughs> which was indeed you, Kalina, complaining bitterly about... Uh, having had to come home early, you yes, said, from yes. your skiing. Exactly, yes. And um, anyway, um, we all handle things in our own ways. Yes. And um, I think we gained a lot of companionship in that time we were together. Um, yes. It was nice to have somebody yeah. to talk to. To talk to. Mm. Having company must have made all the difference. Yes, it, it did. did. Yeah. I remember us talking about how tired we both were the stresses that we'd experienced in our work, and also the impact that our, our diagnosis would have on our families. We didn't realise then that we were about to experience a whole lot more. Yes, that's right. You had an autologous bone marrow transplant. I did, yes. And... Um quite a, a struggle to get the cells out for me. They um, at one point thought they weren't going to be able to but finally, whew, close call it was, but they mm. did. Mm. So, you know, that was mm. marvellous. Mm. So they take the stem cells out, yes. they harvest them, they put them back in and hope that the harvested stem cells kill all the radicals. 
Yes, but they mm. they clean all the cells up. That's first. right. Yes. Yep. Mm. Yeah, they do. Mm. Yeah, you know, it, for me it was seemed to be a lot easier to get my cells. You know, I was only in there for a few hours and and uh, you know, they got the amount required, but everyone's mm. different. Yes, that's right. How did you feel at the time? Um I think um I felt pretty scared, to be quite honest. Yeah. Um, I'm yeah. sure. It's you a fear of the unknown, as you said earlier, Kalina. Yeah, yeah that's right. You, you, yeah. Um, mm. Yes, it's an unknown, an unknown time. Correct. Yeah. You don't yeah. know where the journey is yeah. going to take you. That's right. That's exactly. right. Yeah. But I, I did feel at the time that I was in very good hands. The staff and the doctors mm-hmm. worked terribly well together they did, and yeah. looked after us so well yeah, yeah. Um, that you felt full confidence with them so mm-hmm. you know that in itself is a great relief yeah we're very lucky we were very lucky remember mm. the old hoac yes <laughs> <laughs> I remember that so well uh, yes. yes the goldfish goldfish bowls everywhere full of goldfish mm-hmm. papers all over the floor Mm-hmm. And we were all squashed in together, <laughs> like little birds in a nest. <laughs> Sounds like you were squashed in like sardines. We yes. were. What was HOAC? For our listeners, that's an acronym for the Haematology Oncology Ambulatory Care, and it's now known as the Nellone at the mm-hmm. Kinghorn Cancer Centre. Yes, which of course is immaculate. Yes. And plenty of room and chairs like sort of aeroplane seats. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. Yes, that's right. They've, uh, yeah, mm. they've certainly um, have improved the facilities out of sight. Yes. As has life expectancy. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Well, we were talking about 2000 and 2001. I was actually diagnosed in 2001, so you might have been there a little bit earlier than me. Yes, I spent Christmas in hospital. Okay. Mm. Treatment and recovery was more intense Mm. in those days, and life expectancy, as I said before, has improved enormously with other treatments besides bone marrow transplant. That's right. Well, um, in those days, it was about 40%. Yeah. For... um, Mm. Recovery for recovery of, yeah, uh, of yeah. Um, AML. Yeah, now now it can uh, it's up to about eighty five ninety. Yeah, depending mm-hmm. on um, you know if you've got other issues. Some people have other issues as of well. Course, it's a yes. bit like this COVID. You know, mm-hmm. COVID will affect people that have got other issues. Yes. So you know that's that's what they've always said. Um, it you know it was very uncomfortable for both of us at times, yes, but it you. Was. You told us the story about you living in Paddington and your daughter. Tell yes. us that story again. Yes, I, I live in Paddington. And uh, my daughter was at home and she found an old sheet and she wrote, Get my mum on the sheet. And then she put it out of the window and hung it down from the attic of our terrace. And I could see it from my bedroom window in the hospital. That must have been amazing. <laughs> it was. It, it made me cry. It was... Just beautiful. Touching. And very Very inspirational. I mean, who would, you know, Mm. such an unusual situation to be in where you live close to a hospital, where you can look out of a window, you can see your house, Mm. and uh, uh, an inspirational message to keep you going. How fabulous. Yes. Mm. And um, Sue, how long did the journey actually take you? Well, um, about a year later, I was on the plane to South Africa. Um, for a little holiday 
but I actually don't think I really felt very well for at least another year after that. It, it takes a lot of your strength away. Um, Mine, anyway, did. Mm. Well, I'm um, sure it's the same mm. for most patients. Yeah. So, so mm. if you, you know, if you had one piece of advice that you would give to people who are embarking on the journey now, what would it be? I think my main piece of advice would be that um, it's it's important and it, it it gives you confidence too. Is that you involve yourself with the doctors and the nurses and make see that they're part of your family and you're part of their family so that you're working together mm. for you. Oh, absolutely, yeah. because yeah. you are going to be together for quite a while yeah. on yes. the journey, so a great yes. piece mm -hmm. of uh, sage advice. And so even though I seem to do the journey through autologous transplant easier, yours worked, but for me, a year later, the leukaemia returned. And even though my doctor was not confident, he recommended I have an allogenic transplant to stop the leukaemia. Yes. You can't keep a good woman down, Kalina. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kalina, uh, both you and Sue had an autologous stem cell transplant, but you went on to have an allogenic transplant. What's the difference? Well, an autologous transplant is when they take stem cells from the patient. They harvest the stem cells and then they give those stem cells back to the patient and they hope that the new harvested stem cells will get into the bloodstream and kill all the radicals. And an allogenic? An allogenic is, allo means other, so the stem cells are taken from someone else beside the patient, a donor, and they are um, then you know, given to the patient. And either a related or an unrelated donor. Yes, that's right. Kalina, I understand that you weren't able to find a donor from any of your siblings locally here in Australia. I mean, you come from a large family. There are five siblings and you've got, you know, a large number of um, first, second, third cousins and yet you still weren't able to find a match from within your family. Yes, yeah. Twenty of them went for a test, and none of them were none of them were, were a match or or anywhere near it. So I had to go on the World Register. And your donor actually came from America. Yes, he came from Michigan, uh, Troy in Michigan. Um, he'd been on the donor list uh, since he was twenty-one uh, because he'd gone on. A friend of his had been diagnosed with leukaemia, and and he but he wasn't a match for her. He turned thirty. And they approached him, and of course he was a match for me. Not perfect, but close enough. But close enough. Mm -hmm. And at the time in America, they didn't. Various states in America did not release stem cells, so he had to uh, release bone marrow and send his bone marrow. So the stem cell is more like the embryo, where bone marrow is like the fully grown. Anyway, he released his bone marrow, which was. Fantastic. Incredible. And you actually got to meet your donor. Is it something that you'd recommend? Yes. Well, it depends on him. Uh, it depends on the donor and it depends on the recipient. The medical staff advise that you wait one year before making contact. But I must say that with my donor, he had been keeping track of my journey right the way through that first year. He knew everything about me. He knew all the little hiccups I'd had on the way. And so when I heard that he wanted to make contact, I rang him in America 
and we spoke for about half an hour. That's incredible. So he had a real vested interest yeah, in you yeah, and did. your well-being. Yeah. I got to meet him 15 months after I had the bone marrow transplant. My husband and I flew to Toronto, Canada, and uh, David and his wife Heather and their little children, they drove up from Michigan and my friend in Toronto hosted a dinner party and they came along. Well, that's incredible. I mean, he drove, what, about five and a half hours to come to, to yeah, have a dinner yeah, with you? Yeah. That, he must be a really special person. Yeah. What was it like meeting him for the first time? Well, you can imagine being in the room with the man who'd saved your life. Uh, it was just amazing. Mm-hmm. And I said to his wife, Heather, can I give your husband a big cuddle? And she said in her American accent, you sure can. <laughs> I'm meeting you know, somebody who basically through the generosity of donating their bone marrow saved your life. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine um, how it must have felt. Mm-hmm. And then you met him again. Yes, I met him a second time when he, he was uh, best man at a wedding here in Sydney. So he and his wife came to Sydney and we had a big party at home and all friends and relatives came and thanked him and talked to him and it was terrific. But my uh, husband and I also took him and his wife and my doctor and his wife uh, to Ariel for dinner to say thank you. And I'm sure you had great company um, and it must have just been an incredible evening. Mm. Um, And then just a quick one and maybe one of the final questions on this, why an American donor and not an Australian donor? Well, that's a good question. And in podcast two, we'll interview Leonie Wilcox and Neil Pennick from the Arrow Bone Marrow Transplant Foundation and they'll both talk about the local and international registers. Well, that'll be an interesting podcast session. Now, Jenny, I'd just like to divert for a minute. Many of our patients ask us for a book recommendation and others with a bit of chemo brain would like a podcast. There will be times in your journey when perhaps listening to a podcast will be easier than reading. Yes, I would have loved a good podcast. But in my day, in 2003, there were no podcasts. So let's first talk about books. I have a few recommendations. I was reading an article recently that said books can offer escape and a path to healing. Just being able to lose yourself in another world must help, said the author Anne Cleves. Well, I definitely agree with that because when I get a book, Mm. I can literally just escape and it's very difficult for anyone to get through to me. So books are always a great recommendation. What's on your list, Carl? All right. My first recommendation is a book titled Red Notice by Bill Browder. And I'll just read the synopsis. The book is a real-life political thriller about an American financier in the wild east of Russia, the murder of his young tax attorney and his dangerous mission to expose the Kremlin's corruption. And it begins in the south side of Chicago. Bill Browder is a political analyst now. But I I wonder if there's a... uh, if there's a podcast, because he did some amazing interviews when he was in Australia. There actually are. I did a little bit of research, and uh, there are a number of podcasts where he's interviewed about his book, Red Mm. Notice, Mm. and his experience, Mm -hmm. you know, with Mm -hmm. uh, the Kremlin and Vladimir Putin. So you've read the book yourself? 
read the book and yeah. I must say <laughs> what a gripping story mm-hmm. I remember reading it till the early hours of the morning I just could not put it down it was mm-hmm. quite another world almost mm. and of course you know after that um, it resulted in the Magnitsky Act which is um, a, a law that was introduced by the United States mm-hmm. um, and now used by many countries to take people to book you know for any human rights violations yes, so um, yes. it's it really is a great read for anyone. On a lighter note, I'll recommend Elizabeth Strout's book, Olive Kitteridge. And the synopsis says, this is a portrait of a small community in Maine. Each of the characters orbit around the figure of Olive Kitteridge, a local school teacher, wife and mother. Yes, it's a good book. Olive's a character. Yeah, she sure is a character. She's a real pain to her husband, though, isn't she? Yeah, she is. <laughs> I haven't read this one. I think I better read it because I'm sure my husband thinks I'm a real pain. Maybe I could <laughs> learn something from it. <laughs> so this book is Olive Kitteridge by Elizabeth Strout. Well, I've recently um, enjoyed reading a book by Gail Honeyman called Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine. It's a real humorous book with lots of pathos about a young girl called Eleanor Mm -hmm. who overcomes loneliness. Um, It's sad and uplifting at the same time. I'd Mm -hmm. find myself shedding a few tears and then suddenly I'd go full with laughter. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, It's really a great read. Yes, that's a good one. It's a story about self and about life. Absolutely. Another book I've just read is more topical. It's about Donald Trump written by his niece Mary Trump, who's a clinical psychologist. And the synopsis says, Mary has written about how her family created the world's most dangerous man. It's captivating. It details the early childhood, victimisation and development of Donald J. Trump. Well, now that sounds like an interesting book to read. I cannot imagine anyone calling uh, Donald Trump victimised or him being a victim of anything. Um, So certainly a worthwhile recommendation, Carl. Um, And for a bit of Australian history, my friend Adam Courtney, who of course is the son of Bryce Courtney, who always wrote a fantastic story, and so does Adam, he has written two books. My favourite is The Ship That Never Was. The Ship That Never Was is an entertaining and rollicking story of what is surely the greatest escape in Australian colonial history. And I hear it's uh, based in Tasmania. That's right. I love Tasmania. So certainly a good recommendation there too, Cole. But what about Lashmi Fair? This is the book that you wrote and uh, we haven't had any mention of so far. (laughs) Well, I would like to talk about Lashmi Fair. Uh, And I think we'll leave that until the next podcast. For our listeners, I'd just like to say that Lashmi Fair has nothing to do with bondage. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Carl, you're let off the hook this time, but we'll hold you to it for the next podcast. So, Carl, what podcasts are you listening to at the moment? Well, I like any of the conversations with Richard Feidler. He interviews a variety of people and talks about their lives. Some of the people you might know, others you might not. But still, it's an interesting podcast. My second choice would be Ian McNamara. He has uh, Australia all over between 9 and 10 on the ABC on a Sunday. 
He interviews people from all over Australia, you name it, and he will discuss it. If you miss the 9 to 10 on a Sunday, then you can always pick it up on podcast on the ABC. Wow, there's certainly a lot to keep us occupied. Um, I'll be adding um, your book recommendations to my list mm-hmm. and I'll be tuning into your recommended podcasts. Mm-hmm. And uh, just a reminder that we will be returning to Lashmi Fair next time. <laughs> Sue, I hear you reading Lashmi Fair yes, at the moment. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm uh, halfway through it at the moment. My, hus- my husband has taken it. <laughs> 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 okay. Thanks, Jenny. And we'd love our listeners to get involved. So maybe they have a book or a podcast that they'd like to recommend or they'd like to share with us. Or there might be some questions that they'd like us to help answer. Anyway, they can send them through. We might not have all the answers right away, but we'll reach out to experts to provide them. For those listening, you can email us on maxco2 at bigpond.com titled Gift of Friendship podcast. After each podcast, we'll choose a patient who contacts us and we'll send a gift of friendship package to them in their hospital. And of course, we'd like to hear stories from patients, so be sure to contact us with your story. Yes, your story is very important to us and you can let us know if you'd like us to share your story with our listeners. So, you know what, ladies, we've come to the end of podcast one. In podcast two, our guest will be Julie Soon, a lawyer who had a bone marrow transplant, then went on to have twin boys. We'll also talk to Neil Pennock and Leonie Wilcox from the Arrow Bone Marrow Transplant Foundation about local and international bone marrow registers. Until then, thank you, Jenny, from Hotter Cell Marketing, Sue Patchett from Patchett Spies and Kerry Moran. And thank you for tuning in. I'd like to leave you with a Chinese proverb. On your journey, if you want to know what's up ahead, talk to someone on their way back.